Welcome to Missing. Hey everyone, it's just me today. This is Lance and I am flying solo just for this intro. Tim is taking a few days off and in the whirlwind of making sure we had everything taken care of before he left, we somehow forgot to record this quick intro together. But you can rest assured Tim is on this interview. We are joined by a fine gentleman named Jason Futch. You might remember Jason from a previous episode, one that aired on May 19th of 2022. Jason joined us along with Suzanne and Mel to discuss the disappearance of Patricia Lee Otto from Lewiston, Idaho on August 31st, 1976. We also talked about the connection between Patricia Lee Otto and the Finley Creek Jane Doe, who was found on August 27th, 1998 near Elgin, Oregon. That conversation is truly fascinating and I can't recommend it highly enough Please listen if you haven't already. Jason's also been working on the disappearance of Detra Venrictoria McGuire, who has been missing since November 2nd of 1988 from Lake City, Florida, classified as an endangered missing black female, 23 years old at the time of her disappearance, 5'7", about 135 pounds. She was last seen wearing a gray shirt, striped blue jeans, and pink bedroom slippers. She is an African-American female, black hair, brown eyes, a mole on the right side of her neck, and her ears are pierced. Anyone with information regarding Detra's disappearance, please contact the Columbia County Sheriff's Office at 386-758-1376. We also talk about the murder of Detra's daughter, Roshonda McGuire, who was just two years old when her body was found lying on the interstate. She had a broken neck. Her head was bleeding. She had no pulse. She was apparently the victim of being thrown out of a moving vehicle, and she was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. And this is a detail which adds a really tragic layer to this injustice. And as you'll hear in this conversation, Jason is truly genuine in his mission to bring justice to the memory of Rashonda and a bit of closure to the disappearance of her mom, Detra, and the McGuire family. He's done a great job compiling all of the information, all of the research. He's articulate in the way he delivers it, and we are grateful to be given the opportunity to raise the visibility and spread the word about Detra and baby Rashonda. A couple of quick things before passing it over to the interview. Remember, if you want ad-free episodes of Missing, as well as episodes of our Hidden Opinion show, where we are joined by our partner in true crime, Jennifer Amell, and we get a little bit more candid with our theories and personal opinions and more, please go to our subscription service at missing.supportingcast.fm. We will also be traveling all over the country coming up in August with Patrick Hines of True Crime Obsessed and Pulitzer Prize winner Maggie Freeling. We will be in the following cities, Orlando, Florida on August 3rd, West Palm Beach on August 4th, Atlanta, Georgia on August 6th. Then we take a break and we're back in St. Paul, Minnesota. Dallas, Texas on August 20th, and Houston, Texas on August 21st. We guarantee that these will be great shows. They're not to be missed. If you are in any one of those aforementioned cities, please go to truecrimeobsessed.com slash c-us-live or just go to truecrimeobsessed.com and click on the link, see us live, to purchase tickets to your respective city. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Really hope you enjoy this conversation with Jason Futch and be sure to follow him on Twitter at RealJasonFutch. He also has a couple of podcasts that you can follow, the Swanee Valley Unsolved podcast, a true crime podcast. Follow that on Twitter at S-U-W-V-A-L Unsolved. And he's got another one called From the Vault and you can follow that at From the Vault Pod. 
And as long as you're following things, follow the show Missing on TikTok at MissingCSM, Twitter also at MissingCSM, Facebook, same thing, MissingCSM, as is Instagram, MissingCSM. And all of those links can be found in the show notes. Thanks for putting up with me for the past few minutes. I promise Tim will be back soon. Please enjoy this conversation. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Welcome back to the podcast, Jason Futch. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you today? Can't complain. Really looking forward to this conversation that we're going to have. I feel like we're going to uh, struggle to keep it under an hour, but we're going to do our best because you have so much information that you've gathered about this particular case. You do a great job with that. I'm going to ask a question that's completely not related. What is the origin of your last name? I've never heard that last name before, and I've yeah. been very curious. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that is I am not related to any Futch's other than my immediate siblings because that was actually my mom's first husband's married name and she just decided to keep it. I was hoping you'd say Dutch and then we could say like Butch the Dutch. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I wish it was that clever. Well, thank you. Thank you for indulging me on that. Oh, absolutely. No worries. And thanks for joining us. We had you on recently to discuss the case of Patricia Lee Otto and the Finley Creek Jane Doe. And that was definitely a memorable episode for our listeners. So, yeah, thank, thanks oh, yeah. Again for that. That story is incredible. Yes, you're welcome. And I will also add a footnote to that. We have, since that interview, made some crazy progress toward possibly one step closer to figuring out where Patty Otto is. Uh, I can't really talk much about that update. There are some specifics that we have to cover first. I will just say when it comes out, everyone will be blown. In a good way? Very good way. Okay, great. Before we talk about what we're going to talk about today, tell us a little bit about you. Let's refresh the listeners' memories. So aside from the Finley Creek Task Force, which I was a co-founder of in 2018, I'm also the creator of Swanee Valley Unsolved, which is a cold case-centered organization that I created last year, which actually originally started as a future podcast because I wanted to focus on some of the local cold cases in the Suwannee Valley, which when I say Suwannee Valley, I mean 
Swanee, Columbia, and Hamilton County, Florida. For such an area with a little bit of population, there's quite a bit of skeletons in the closet. So I've been able to find part of that was my research into the Dietra McGuire case. And I had been familiar with the Dietra McGuire case for probably about five or six years, but I didn't really start looking into it until just last year because I had a lot of questions about this case, uh, the details surrounding Dietra's disappearance and the homicide of her little child, Roshonda McGuire, which we'll be covering that here in just a minute. But when I made the records request back in 2020, I did not expect to get as much information that I ended up getting. And I've been trying my best ever since I got this file to tell Dietra's story to the public. I've had some issues trying to get permission, but I feel like this is something that you just can't let go of. Not only do we have a missing mother, but we also have a murdered child as well. It does really show the bias that is put on minorities and people of color and people in marginalized societies and marginalized communities, how something of this caliber can go unnoticed. Absolutely. Is that why you think it's important to tell this particular story? Absolutely, because in 1988 alone, there were three missing women that ended up being found murdered in Columbia County and Dietra went missing. So that's four individuals who were black. Honestly, after about a year, year and a half, we stopped hearing updates about these cases. Ever since then, it appears that Dietra's case has been put on the back burner. But what we really understand, especially when we go through the documents, is that Columbia County never forgot about the Dietra Roshonda McGuire case. In fact, even to this day, they're still working this case. They're still giving it their best shot to get a suspect in this case who we'll talk about later. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the case. Who was Dietra and what happened? We have to go back to the evening of November 2nd, 1988, because this actually starts off as a homicide investigation. Reports go that there was a gentleman by the name of Aaron Dale Stokes who lived in Lake Butler, Florida. He was a truck driver and he was on his way to Alabama. He was driving along Interstate 10 westbound near milepost 303 when he saw what it looked like to be a, an animal or a dog in the middle of the road. As he got closer, it turned out to be a toddler laying out in the middle of the road. So he pulls over, gets the child to the side of the road, and he identifies it as a very young black girl. Another driver named George Champion pulls over. He assist and trying to get some kind of efforts going to resuscitate this girl. But then he races out to the next exit, goes to the little champ and calls 911 where Florida Highway Patrol respond to the scene. So does Columbia County Sheriff's Office and Columbia County Fire and Rescue. And they take the little girl to the hospital and she was pronounced dead by Dr. Shariat over at Lakeshore Hospital in Lake City, Florida. That would begin the search for the identity of this little girl because they were unable to identify her at first. It took them about a day before they were able to identify her as Roshonda Nigeria McGuire, who was two years old. That also begins the missing persons case of Dietra Ren Victoria McGuire, who was 23 at the time of her disappearance. And they wrote that it appeared that the child had been thrown out of a car. Was that 
a theory that continued throughout the investigation? Yes, I can confirm that is still the case uh, in the investigation today. I want to state for the record, too, is that how else could that child have ended up in the middle of the road? With road rash, bruises, a broken neck, that would ultimately come out of the uh, medical examiner's report by Dr. G, who did the autopsy on her. There's just so much evidence in this investigation that it just goes to show that this little girl in her last moments was probably screaming and crying and got thrown out of a moving vehicle for their trouble. It's disgusting. It's very disgusting. How did they identify her? There was a big uh, mission at the Columbia County Sheriff's Office because the investigation was handed over to the Columbia County Sheriff's Office after the Florida Highway Patrol handled what they needed to handle. There was two investigators. There was uh, Sergeant Jim Wells, who was one of the lead investigators for the sheriff's office at the time. And there was an investigator by the name of Andy Holland, who worked with some of the organizations in the area, like going to daycares, going to schools, going to businesses, trying to see if, if anyone could identify this child. And they were also able to get Roger Lizett, who is an HRS investigator to join with them as well to try to identify this girl. And HRS was also the organization which handled like children and family uh, welfare stuff. So they went around all day trying to show this picture of this deceased little girl. No one could identify her. And the newspaper had actually run a cover story at, on the Lake City Reporter. And then it was about that time one of the family members had seen the headline and they called and reported both of them missing, both Roshanda and Dietra. And so Investigator Wells and Investigator Holland would go to the McGuire house over at the Gatorwood Apartments, which is just on the west end of Lake City. And they showed the photograph of the deceased child. That opened up a big can of worms, so to speak. It seems like they had a very positive response to the investigation from the start. Was there any period after that where it started to lose momentum? You know, at first, that's what I initially thought, that they identified the child. They identified that Deetra and Rashonda were not home the night of the second. You know, that's what I thought. Like, they were able to identify, investigate. They couldn't find anything, so case is over, right? So when I get the file, it actually shows that the momentum started picking up. I'm going to try to be very careful because I don't want to identify anyone who's not been convicted or charged with this crime. It's very tedious, especially the fact that the suspect that they have in mind right now is still free. So what happened is that they in interrogated the boyfriend of Dietra McGuire. He told them he was home all night of November 2nd. He had to go to work the next day. He was wondering where Dietra and Rashonda had been. So the very next morning after Dietra and Roshanda had been reported missing, the boyfriend went over to Dietra's mother's house, who lived in an adjacent apartment next to them. He asked her if she had seen Roshanda or Dietra, and she hadn't. Her father didn't see her. And so they went around and they drove around Lake City trying to look for Dietra and Roshanda. They even made phone calls to the insurance agency Dietra worked at in Alachua, Florida. And then also they contacted the VA hospital because she had a friend that worked out there and the friend could not be of any help. The mother dropped the boyfriend off at home and he went to work that morning. And it was just later on that day that they had found out what happened. And the mother reported to investigators that 
he had looked off throughout that trip looking for Deetra and Roshonda. Like he looked nervous. He just looked like he wasn't all there. He didn't say a word. She didn't say a word. But she started getting some suspicions right from the start that the boyfriend may know more than what he was saying. So when they did make the identification, the boyfriend was at the house that day. He had started causing a little bit of a scene saying, why was it her and not me? Why was it her and not me? But then later that night, one of the witnesses state that he just seemed like he was chill the whole time. A cousin of his had come over to the house while they were trying to make funeral arrangements and stuff like that, you know, comforted him. When this particular cousin came over, he just started talking, just started, you know, getting comfortable. And, and then after the baby's funeral, after Roshonda's funeral, the boyfriend changed his look up. He shaved his head. He cleaned his face off. And after the funeral was the last time the family had actually seen or heard from the boyfriend. Now, when Dietra left the house at 7 p.m. with the child, she was driving her boyfriend's car, a 1988 Nissan Sentra two-door. It was black, and it had never been recovered, even after identifying the child and realizing the mother had went missing. A few days later, ironically, the boyfriend's heading down south to Alachua County, and as they're coming through Ellisville, he sees that there's police activity in the parking lot of one of the truck stops. And he notices that his car is in the parking lot. He goes over there and they said, well, you're not getting it back right now. We have to take it for evidence. And basically this is where the biggest suspicion comes from. How did he even see it to begin with? Because if you go through that, that highway, you could see the parking lot and stuff, but you can't really see cars that good from the highway. So it's just really, really shocking to see that. He just suddenly happens to be there when police are there and they're inspecting the car. As far as the car being sort of a piece of evidence, did anything ever come out of it? DNA or anything like that? So there was some interesting stuff that did come out. You know, fingerprints were collected, obviously, uh, because they you know want to make sure that Dietra was indeed in the car. See, the following was noted. A plastic garbage bag located inside of the boyfriend's vehicle has what appears to be blood drops on the inside and outside of the bag. A comb was located inside of Dietra's purse along with some hairs. A receipt from public supermarket was located dated November 1st at 7 o'clock. That was the day before. A piece of grass was located on top of a white purse. Floor mats from, from the boyfriend's vehicle. Seat covers from Murphy's vehicle. A work glove uh, that was located at the location of Roshonda's body. So there was a glove found at the body. As far as being tested, they were sent to FDLE. I don't know the results of that test. Pretty much everything ended up coming back inconclusive in general. So the car was eventually released. And who was it released to? It would have been released to the boyfriend. However, he was late on his bank notes. He ended up getting it repossessed. So he was late on making his car payments and the car yes. was repossessed. Correct. Oh, interesting. So then it was probably resold. Probably. And it's probably still floating around somewhere. That's a crazy thought to have. I know, right? I think now would be a pretty good time to tell us a little bit about Dietra herself. Anything that you might know about her, her lifestyle, the relationship she was in with the boyfriend, her relationship with her family, her daughter, anything that you might know. What I know about Dietra comes from friends that I've spoken with and some of her classmates from Columbia High School. Everyone said that she was one of the nicest girls you could ever know. She was always kind, always willing to let you borrow a pencil if you needed a pencil. She was very 
friendly. She was very active in school. She was a member of a couple of clubs. Ironically, too, she was in the same class that Kimberly Leach would have been in had she graduated high school uh, instead of being murdered by Ted Bundy, who kidnapped her in that same city. That's just the thing about this whole tragedy, too. It's just like one tragedy after another. It, it's sad all around that this little community can be hit hard twice like that. I don't know a whole lot about her life, you know, with her boyfriends, other than what I know in the reports is that she had child with a gentleman who was in the army. He had been stationed in Panama around the time of Deidre's disappearance. And so he was ruled out as a suspect. As for the current boyfriend, she had some issues with him. There was some domestic assault issues. In fact, there was one report that stated that she had actually gotten into a fight with him. I don't remember off the top of my head, but a knife was involved. That was something that, that really struck me, was that there was history of domestic abuse in this relationship. And then an ex-girlfriend of this boyfriend said that one time they had gotten into a fight and... Suddenly, he said, if you keep on doing what you're doing, you'll, you'll get the same fate as Dietra. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. What's the investigation into Dietra like? Any searches or any, any ideas on where she could be? Yeah, so there's been quite a few uh, searches for her, even up to 2003. There's been a lot of searches throughout Interstate 10 because around that time, that turned out to be an interesting dumping ground because bodies were being recovered between 1987 and 88 along Interstate 10. This case, they were looking for her in that area. There was evidence at the house of a shovel and a pickaxe that was located in the backyard. It had red clay dirt on it, which is the typical soil for this region of the United States. There was suspicions right from the get-go. Of course, this is where it links back to her boyfriend. As for searches, they did use a helicopter to search, do a sky search. They used dogs. In fact, there was a search that was done in 2003 that pointed to two specific spots. One was at the end of Lake City Avenue, which is near a crematorium. They did not locate a body there. And then there was a search that was done near one of the family members' homes. It was, uh, the McGuire family has property on a specific side of the county where it's just farms and trees. And they believe that she might have been buried out there but they never found any evidence. And I'm not sure where they got that information from. As far as a very recent search, there has not been a, a very recent search done, no. Do you have any plans to conduct any sort of organized search or is it beyond that point at this time? Honestly, for me, in order to do something like that, that would mean expanding a lot of resources. And I think honestly, at this point, we're kind of beyond that. Too much time has gone by. When you say that it's gone a little bit too far for searches, do you say that in the sense that you feel like there's no remains that would be in a condition to be found uh, and identifiable? Or My idea is that Columbia County is a big county. There's a lot of woods here. Unless someone exactly knows where Dietra is located, it, it would be beneficial to just start searching random spots of the county for human remains. Now, there 
probably would still be human remains. I wouldn't doubt that. But unless somebody accidentally stumbles across them or a witness, you know, gives a pinpointed spot where they're located, it's going to be difficult to locate. Tell us a little bit more about the boyfriend in this case. I know everyone's been hearing about this boyfriend and just to be careful, I'm not going to be treading on anything or, you know, trying to incite libel. I'm not going to identify him, but he knows who he is. He has been suspicious from the start in this investigation, still continues to be suspicious. There were a couple of things that did not add up to the boyfriend's story after the disappearance. He had said that he had been home all night long watching television and waiting for Dietra and Roshanda to come home. They never came home. However, there was a statement in 2003 made by Dietra's older daughter, who was seven years old at the time. She was going to be going to the fair that evening because the county fair was in town. She had come over to the house to go pick up some clothes so that way she could stay the night at her aunt's house and also be able to go to the fair. When they went to the house, no one was there. No one was at the house at all. So where could the boyfriend have been? I mean, then this was at the same time frame that Dietra and Roshanda had left the house to go run errands. Where was the boyfriend? That goes into the FDLE part of this investigation a few days later. Special Agent Bill Gody of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, who eventually would become the sheriff of Columbia County from 2004 to 2008, had been the lead investigator for this for the FDLE side. And so he brought the boyfriend in. They had him perform a polygraph test. But before he did the polygraph test, now this is coming from the sheriff himself, because I had an opportunity to speak with him about this case. He told me that when they were doing like the pre-interview and stuff like that, he was nervous. What they did was they actually recreated the whole entire crime scene situation on the highway and essentially kind of, you know, just a test for trajectory, seeing where exactly he would have thrown the baby out of the car at that point. And they did a video of it. And Special Agent Gody showed the boyfriend the video. And when the boyfriend saw this video of the agent throwing a baby out the window, it really got him flustered. And he performs the polygraph test and he fails it. That's a really, really fascinating tactic that they made this video. Was it like animation? No, you got to remember, this is 1988. They had footage. They used a baby doll and all that stuff. It was like a recreation. Yes, exactly. So they actually went to the highway? Yes. What an amazing tactic. He said that the boyfriend was nervous the entire time after that video was shown to him. I would imagine that anyone in that situation and then seeing that video would get nervous. But would that cause you to fail a polygraph, I wonder? I learned something from, uh, there was a uh, polygraph investigator who resides up in Connecticut. I've been watching some of his videos. He's been talking about basically, you know, when you lie, these machines will pick it up automatically because the one thing that'll happen is that if you're not lying, you're not working as hard to tell the truth. However, when you're starting to lie, the brainwaves start to change because you're starting to think of a story. You're starting to think of everything that's going on here. You're trying to create something in your mind and your brain is working twice as hard. It'll pick that up along with the perspiration. I mean, either way, the boyfriend should have never failed this polygraph if he was telling the truth, even if 
Sheriff Gody had shown him that video or not. So he fails the polygraph. It mm -hmm. seems like the police have a pretty good thought that this guy knows more at the very least. What happens next? So what happens is that, again, he changes his appearance, goes to Roshanda's funeral, and this is the last time anyone's seen around. He's never shown up again. None of the family members have seen him. He's never kept in contact, you know, stuff like that. Enter 2003, uh, the FDLE picked up the case again, and this time it was an FDLE-centered investigation. The Columbia County Sheriff's Office had nothing to do with this part of the investigation. There was an agent, his name was Don Ugliano, who led the investigation out of the Live Oak office, and he started talking to witnesses, to people, family members, seeing if they can recollect anything that happened the night of November 2nd or any time before that. One of Dietra's sisters had recollected that she was getting a little down on this relationship because she was doing all the work. She was paying for her boyfriend's car bills. She was paying for pretty much everything. And he was just lazy. Like she didn't like that. He was just laying around all the time. She had plotted to break up with him at some point. That was the plan. But as we see, that didn't happen. Again, the seven-year-old daughter, who's a little bit older at this point, recollects the story about going to the fair and picking up clothes and the boyfriend not being there. The mother of Dietra retells a story of driving the boyfriend around looking for Dietra and Roshanda. No emotion out of him. He's just, you know, not even saying a word. And then they go to the boyfriend. He's living in Alachua County at this point. And initially they talked to him, asked him if he can recollect anything he remembers that night. Like they weren't coming at him as if he was like in trouble or anything. They're just seeing if he remembers anything. He said, I can't, couldn't tell you anything that I remember, but if I remember something, I'll let you know. Then a few weeks later, according to Sheriff Gody, they start proceeding to pressure him a little more. This was the point where he decides he's going to lawyer up and not say anything else about this case. And since then, he has not said a word. He still hasn't communicated with the family members. It's almost certain that, you know, he knows more than he's saying. My biggest question to the boyfriend would be, would he be willing to take another polygraph test and would he pass it this time? Have you had any communication with him or any of his family members? I actually tried reaching out to him one time and he's not yet returned my friend request or my message. And he probably knows that I've tried to add him as a friend and he probably knows who I am. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Someone wrote on YouTube about uh, not wanting um, this information out there. I'll be absolutely 100% transparent with you guys about this. So early on when I started looking into this investigation, I was told by a friend of the family, of Dietrich's family, that the family didn't want to go through this again. That the family had some issues with getting her case out there because they've accepted the reality that Dietra may never come back and that they're okay with that piece. But however, that didn't come from a family member directly, as I've never heard from any of the family. I've reached out to family members, but they've never returned my messages. I'm not going to take the word of someone who's not blood related to somebody and, you know, run with that. I would rather it come from the family themselves if they don't want the story out there. But then I would like to return the question of why not, especially in an age where technology has advanced, where things have advanced to the point where 
most cases, even the coldest cases out there, are solvable now. Like, why not? Why not let Dietra's memory be remembered? Because this is a really difficult case. This is a tough case, especially with the fact that a child was involved and a child lost their life. In a horrific way, too. You have to be one sick bastard to be able to do that to a child. To, to throw them in the middle of an interstate where there's moving traffic, especially when the child did nothing to you, that child did absolutely nothing. It's absolutely disgusting. Was there any other indications or evidence of domestic abuse? Abuse, like like physical abuse, uh, not really. Although I did hear that there was a lot of verbal altercations, that they did fight a lot. And Dietra has had a history of being abused as well because her previous boyfriend had done the same to her, where there was physical abuse, there was mental abuse, and there was verbal abuse. So she, she just ended up meeting some of the worst guys out there. And what about the... Uh... Uh, older daughter is that somebody who you have uh reached out to i know you said you reached yes. out to some family members i try to reach out to that daughter she's yet to return my message uh i sent that i sent a message out to her two years ago if she listens to this i hope she can reach out to me that i am a safe place to reach out to now i'm wondering how this case didn't get solved or hasn't been solved at this point if we're to assume that is Dietra's blood right and there's already been a homicide what about the files? Tell us how you came about the files for this case. At the time, I had been considering doing a more in-depth look into Dietra's story. I wanted to sit down and really like look into Dietra's case, like really do a deep dive into it. So I made a request to the Columbia County Sheriff's Office, who had a wonderful public information officer. His name was Murray Smith. He was since retired. I had originally made a request for these reports a while back by another PIO officer. He only gave me like four pieces of paper, basically. This PIO officer sent me a lot of stuff like FDLE reports, internal reports, medical examiner notes and stuff like that. That was how I was able to find out that Dr. Jan Garvaglia had performed the autopsy on baby Roshanda. I was able to locate this on a simple FOIA request and anyone can locate this. I must have at least three to 400 pieces of paper in my file here on this case. And what about the evidence that was found in the car, around the car, all of these, uh, the glove, the receipt, the blood, is it stored somewhere? It's still there. It's still in the sheriff's office. In fact, back in 2003, Special Agent Ugliano had actually resubmitted all this. And I guess nothing was yielded from that, uh, alluding to the question, you know, why hasn't this case been solved yet? Because of the evidence, there was most likely, yes, Dietra's blood could be on that bag or Shonda's blood could be on that bag but is a suspect's blood on that bag DNA evidence in some cases can also be considered circumstantial especially considering the fact that the car belonged to the boyfriend so his DNA is going to be all over the car Dietra's DNA is going to be all over the car or Shonda's DNA is going to be all over the car I feel like there's enough to make an attempt there though with it be with it being his car if if it's really Dietra's blood I completely agree with that. But for some reason or another, they haven't pursued any charges against the boyfriend. And he's still alive. He's still living in Florida. I mean, he's kept really quiet about this whole thing. And I did actually ask a detective about this case a while back. And he says that they're doing everything they can to try to solve this case because they know they know who did it essentially, as we all probably know by now, but they just don't have the probable cause here yet. 
that's what they really need. I mean, ma- mainly witnesses saying about, you know, stronger witnesses, so to speak, a body, especially they are, they're going to need a body in this case, which they got one. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think it's enough to make an attempt. But I know I know a lot of prosecutors won't go that route. There are some that are brave enough to do that. And I'll reference a case. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Heather McCrossin case out of Micanope, Florida, went missing in 2007. Her boyfriend at the time was considered a suspect in her case. And it was a guy named Andrello Witcher. He was considered a suspect in the Camry Mitchell missing persons case in Live Oak. He was serving prison sentence for a burglary that had happened in Swanee County. And right before he was set to go out, the prosecutor was brave enough to go forward with a nobody, no murder case. And he was very successful because there was so much witness statements that supported Andrello being extremely abusive to the girlfriend. Among other things, he was using a gun on her, would hit her till she had black eyes, broken bones. She had even run away from home and went back to Michigan to run away from this guy, but she had to come back and fulfill a court-ordered request because she had a speeding ticket. And that was the last time she'd been seen alive. And they charged Andrello Witcher with manslaughter in that case. And he got 30 years in prison. And you think uh, so much time has passed with this case that they would be willing to take that risk to try to rattle him to the point where maybe the image of him throwing the body of a child out of a car finally gets to him. The biggest thing is, is that the prosecutors want to be able to have a successful case. I, I think that's the biggest thing right now. Yeah. The current prosecutor in Columbia County is very strict about that. I wish he would go forward and just go ahead and get the, the wheels move at all this case, because at least a lot of things can come forward in discovery, witnesses and stuff like that. Statements from, you know, the uh, friends of the boyfriend and stuff like that. I, I wish they would just go ahead and take a chance, take a chance, arrest the boyfriend Get him to talk. If he doesn't talk, they have 180 days to hold him without a charge. After that, they need to charge him or let him go. I think, honestly, at this point, in my opinion, I mean, I'm not law enforcement. I'm not a police officer. Never pretended to be one. But based on everything that I've seen here in this report, there's enough to to form a successful case against the guy. There's enough enough there. I mean, especially the polygraph. I know they're not admissible in court. That's just one chip off the iceberg that goes to show that he might have something to do with this investigation. He's not being completely honest. Is it going to take a deathbed confession from him to say he murdered Dietra and baby Rashonda? I mean, it just makes me wonder how this guy can still sleep at night, you know, him being nearly in his 60s. How he can sleep at night thinking that he ended the lives of two people while his family continues to grieve and hurt from this tragedy. I mean, it's brutal. It, it's brutal. I mean, I, I'm, it, it angers me to think that every time I talk about this case. This just occurred to me. Isn't it crazy that you can just friend somebody who is probably or who is the most likely suspect in a double homicide? <laughs> that they're on Facebook in the first place and anyone yes. can reach out to them? And that's why I'm not saying any names. <laughs> so somebody who is most likely responsible for this is still willing to put themselves out there and share pictures of what they did over Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, he's even got the boomer headshots, you know, up the Nostril, you know, all that stuff. He's got these big old smiles on his face like he's never going to get caught. Like he's comfortable living the way he's living now. 
his day's going to come eventually, either whether it be in the courtroom or in the courtroom upstairs. Great work on this case, Jason. And uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say? I can't help but feel for the family members who had to go through this. The ones that had to sit in that living room the day Sergeant Wells and Investigator Holland showed them pictures of a beaten up baby that was thrown out of a moving vehicle. I can't imagine the pain because I've never experienced that before in my life. It's painful when you think that there was a child involved in this whole situation that was murdered in such a brutal way. You can only imagine what happened to Dietra because of that. You know, you can only imagine just how she was murdered, probably. I don't think she's alive out there. I think she had absolutely nothing to do with this. I honestly think the baby was collateral damage for what he did to her, to Dietra. And for the family to live that long without answers or without justice for these two, it breaks my heart. If any of the family members are listening out there, they know they can reach out to me anytime. I'm on Facebook, I'm easily accessible. The sheriff's office knows me. They know that I'm doing this podcast today. They know that I've been putting all this information together. They know where to reach out to me if they ever want to talk about this case, what they know, what I can do to help in some way, because I really want to help in getting the McGuire's justice for the death of their baby and and, uh, and the death of Dietra, most likely. Wow. Well, thank you. Thanks for your uh, for your time here. Yep. You're welcome. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.